Hello and welcome to Sadna and Books, a podcast about spiritual practice and wisdom. While this podcast is intended to be listened to, there exists an experiential part of Sadna and Books on Patreon. There we practice early morning sadna and lead book discussions. Everyone is welcome to participate and deepen their spiritual practice. The minimum donation is $1 a month. My name is Zita Harkaran and in this episode we are going to untangle the story of Bhagavad Gita chapters 4 and 8. By the way, you might want to listen to previous episode on chapters 1 to 3, but since this is not quite a story, I think you will do just fine jumping in here as well. So in these next five chapters, we are going to step into the heart of Bhagavad Gita, learn what is the best actions human can devote their time to. We are going to learn how to meditate straight from the Lord of the Universe. And we are also going to learn how to die. Mm, it's exciting stuff. And also about the structure of the universe. So let's take a look. Chapter 4 is called Wisdom of Action. And the main idea, the main goal of the chapter is to learn what is the best kind of action we can do to reach liberation. So we are not stuck in this karmic cycles of birth and rebirth and in stuck in egos and stuck in constant struggle. At the beginning of chapter 4, I think it's important for Krishna to re-establish his credibility a little bit. They start talking about ancient times. And just as we think of times of Bhagavad Gita for us as ancient, the same way Arjuna has idea of even more ancient times where great sages like Vivasvat lived. Actually, India has a long tradition of thinking of history as a fall from magnificently evolved times into the dark ages in which Arjuna and actually us also still live. And Krishna says, you know, I taught Vivasvat. I taught those ancient sages from long time ago. And Arjuna is surprised by that. He's like, but you are much younger than them. How could you have lived and taught them? So anyway, Krishna says, you know, you and I passed through many births, Arjuna. You have forgotten, but I remember them all. And he adds, I am unborn and changeless. I am the Lord that dwells within every creature. And even later on, he says, Whenever Dharma declines and the purpose of life is forgotten, I manifest myself on earth. Krishna comes back whenever we forget the purpose of life. Whenever we get too lost, in our doings, in our machinations, in our pleasures and desires. So these chapters is very much about what do we need to do as human beings. Once again, the action that will liberate us stems from the idea of thinking of non-attachment to the results of the work. So you awaken sages, call a person wise, when all his undertakings are free from anxiety about results. 
Oh, I just lost my life savings. No problem. You know, oh, I just lost my job. No problem. I'm going to find another one. Um, oh, I just made million dollars. Oh, no problem. I'm going to be the same person. I'm not going to elevate myself above others. There are many ways of thinking of this selfless action. So there can be selfless service or renunciation of sensory pleasures, right? Whether it comes with food or sex or any other addictive pro products. Um, practicing self-control, giving away some of your wealth or all of your wealth. <laughs> or you can devote your time to study of wisdom. You can also offer a meditation and you can also control, offer control of your breath. So control of your pranic force, your life force. These are actually uh, services that you can offer to divine. You have many choices to choose from. But those who do not seek to serve will find themselves without home in this world, Krishna says. So whatever you do, just find something that will be form of selfless service. But the highest of all is to learn wisdom because the creation and God wants to be recognized in its full magnificent. But not only that, it also means that once you learn the wisdom of the creation, you will automatically burn your karma because you are not going to cause problems for other people because you are going to understand how everything is interlinked. Krishna says that um, wisdom burns karma just like a fire burns the stick. So that is what the fourth chapter is about. Chapter 5. This chapter ties in really well with the previous chapter. We are again going to learn more about the selfless action. We are going to learn more about the action that we need to do in life and how we need to do this. And we are also going to learn about why is spiritual wisdom so important. So let's go first with the action. Once again, that this act of renunciation of the results, how do we do this? Krishna says that those who perform this action, they work as if divine is working through them. And they understand that they are not the doers. They kind of remove their ego from the action. It reminds me of Nikola Tesla, when he lived in this way, he felt like he was almost an automaton. He's like, this is just what I have to do. This is what I have. This is what's coming through me. These are the inputs. And I have to kind of realize them, write them down, make it into action. Similarly, Joan of Arc, right? Um, she felt that the divine was speaking through her and was uh, guiding her to liberate French people. And one little girl did that. This is what can happen when you release your ego from your actions and just allow yourself to be guided. But in order to do this, we need to have knowledge of the self. We need to have knowledge of the self with a capital S, of the divine self living with, within us. 
That's why he says that the spiritual knowledge is the highest. Because knowing it, it will really literally burn off the karma. A lot of wrong that is in the world exists because of the ignorance of the divine nature, ignorance of the self. And that's why meditation is understood as the highest knowledge. It is through meditation that we get to know ourselves and we get to know the God that lives within every creature. The divine wants to be known. It wants to be understood. The workings of it want to be understood. And because the divine lives within all of us, we are able to do it by going deeply within. It's like there is a, a little seed that exists within us that allows us to understand the same seed within everything else. In chapter 6, we learn how to meditate straight from the Lord of the universe. So, if you ever wanted to know what is the best form of meditation, you're going to learn it right here, right now. There are many people that struggle with meditation. There are many people who would like to have personal practice, but they struggle, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to calm the mind. It's not easy to commit to daily practice. And then some others don't know how to do it. No one showed them. They don't understand what is actually happening. Why should I sit here like this? It seems like you're doing nothing. So now the question is, what kind of skill is important to learn when you want to start meditating? Krishna says that on the journey of meditation practice, your will is your greatest friend, but also your greatest enemy. He says that when you have not conquered yourself, your will will do its best to distract you, to make you itchy, to make you want to move, to make you feel bored, to make you feel like, what are you doing? What's the point of this? But at the same time, once you conquered your will and you make the will to be on your side, you'll be able to conquer those little instincts, make them disappear. And you will find the most wonderful friend in your will and in yourself within. With that, Krishna also mentions what is important is to get good sleep and to get to eat just about the right amount of food. This is important to have kind of balance in lifestyle for a good meditation practice. So, and then once you have that, and once you have your will on your side and you decided this is what you're going to do, I'm going to quote, Krishna says, select a clean spot, neither too high or too low, and seat yourself firmly on the cloth, a deer skin, and a kusha grass. Then, once seated, strive to still your thoughts. Make your mind one-pointed in meditation, and your heart will be purified. Hold your body, head, and neck firmly in a straight line, and keep your eyes from wandering. 
end of quote. So it's pretty simple, but he does say you got to keep the three locks. That's what we always talk about, right? And whenever your mind starts to wander, keep bringing it back to the meditation. Keep bringing it to your eye focus and keep training it. Keep training it to come back to the self. Don't go out there, you know, in your mind. That's not the point. Sometimes students look for some kind of visual spectacle in their meditation, try to see a story or something like that, or lights or images. But that's, um, that's not a point of meditation. You can see those things. Yes, they do come. But they're more like a curiosities to learn from. We do that in hypnosis and we learn about it in hypnosis. But um, that's not a point of meditation. The meditation is to find yourself within yourself. That is where the sweet spot is. Because when you find yourself within yourself, you find you become self-realized, that means you find God within you. Because he said, I am ever-present in those who have realized me in every creature. So here Arjuna once again comes up with a great question. He asks, how can mind be conquered? It seems impossible to me. It seems unattainable. How can I do this? And um, Krishna says, yeah, I understand. I, I know it's difficult, but it can be done. And it can be done through regular practice. And keep remembering to detach yourself from the sensory experiences. Okay, one more great question that Krishna has in this chapter. He asks, you know, uh, there, are, there are many people who our own spiritual practice, that meditate, that do the work, and then they stop for some reason, right? And they get off the path. What happens to them? Will they be destroyed or harmed in any way? Arjuna wants to know. And Krishna says, no, don't worry. These people, this is so beautiful. If they, for some reason, are not able to meditate, whether because of their will or because of um, whatever other reasons, right? They got disappointed by the practice. He says, they will be reborn in the families where there is meditation practiced. And to be born in such a family is extremely rare. And when they will see this practice of meditation, the wisdom that they have gained in their past lives will be reawakened and the desire to continue on this path will be reawakened. And at the end of this chapter, just in case that Arjuna is keeping score with all this advice about what to do, what to do, you know, Oh, my head is so full. Uh, Krishna says, Meditation is superior to severe asceticism and the path of knowledge. It is also superior to selfless service. What is so powerful about meditation? Why is meditation so powerful? This is the main question for the chapter 7. So, and in order to understand what Krishna describes here, we kind of need to know how the creation is structured. 
and I already alluded to this, but let me just start at the beginning. When we look at Hinduism from the outside, uh, we see people worshipping cows, we see thousands of little deities and thousands of forms of worship. What we don't see widely talked about is that Hinduism believes that there is one supreme being, one God, one Godhead. Just the same one as in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Sikhism. And in these next few chapters, Krishna starts introducing himself as Brahman, as that highest Lord of everything. Okay, we really need to forget about the incarnation of Krishna as he is and start thinking of him as the supreme being because this is what he's going to start introducing us. And he says that there is Purusha and Prakriti. The Prakriti is like the womb of the God. And from there, all the elements are born. The element of earth, water, fire, air, akasha, mind, intellect, and ego. These are the eight elements he mentions. And besides that, besides this Prakriti, he has a higher nature. And that higher nature supports all life and all beings. No matter who, where, when. This is what Krishna says. There is nothing that exists separate from me, Arjuna. The entire universe is suspended from me as my necklace of jewels. If that is the truth, right, and he is in everything, and everything is created from him, why is living so hard? Why do we get confused? Why do we not see it as that? Because the creation is enveloped in maya, in delusion, on purpose. This delusion is created out of three elements, which are called gunas. They're, the three gunas are raja, sattva, and tama. Raja is the fiery one, active one. Sattva is the neutral one. And tamas are the slow, destructive ones that decompose everything. So these are the polarities. We can, we can even see like almost like a electrical polarities of life and also the extremes of life as well, the hot and cold and so on. So everything is always, when it is alive, it goes through this process, through these three gunas. And Krishna says that these three gunas come from him, but he is not in them. That's interesting distinction, something to ponder, meditate on. So in many spiritual teachings and religions, we learn that this is kind of like a school, that this is almost a created world just for us to practice our karma, to grow and to self-realize. This maya deludes everyone. It makes everyone confused. He says that maybe one in thousand will try to 
reach me. And from these one of thousands, only very few actually realize me within them. So this process is is difficult. Uh, people come to me, to God, when they maybe experience a difficult situation in life, when they have suffering, or because they are afraid of the old age, or because they want to learn the wisdom, or because they are tired of being swayed by the desires and polarities of life. But then there are people, different people who worship different deities too. So there are like these uh, mini deities too that are being worshipped. And whoever worships these mini deities, god of success or whatever, uh, they go to that, right? But whoever is tuning to the main Brahman, the creator of the whole creation, will go to Brahman. Just to wrap up this chapter, um, most of the time Krishna talks very matter-of-factly. He is not uh, flowery with his language. But here is a very beautiful section that I would like to quote. Arjuna, I am the taste of pure water and the radiance of the sun and moon. I am the sacred word and the sound heard in the air and the courage of human beings. I am the sweet fragrance in the earth and the radiance of fire. I am the life in every creature and the striving of the spiritual aspirant. We are going to wrap up this episode with chapter 8, which is called The Godhead. And this is where we learn even more about Krishna as the Brahman, and uh, we also learn about death and reincarnation and liberation. It's a very fascinating chapter because he talks about how to die and also how the universe is created and dissolved. So in previous chapter, we learned that there is this maya that holds the creation as if locked or stuck. stuck. And uh, that creates suffering, that creates confusion. The liberation from it is difficult. Arjuna wants to know when we die, what do we do to make sure that we go to you, that we are liberated? Oh, and at first, Krishna answers a very interesting fact. He says, you know, what you are thinking at the time of death determines your destination in the next life. You will always be drawn to the state of being you were in your previous life. And we talked about this in our book club. Sometimes you are kind of drawn to certain mental states, maybe drawn to depression or drawn to feeling lonely. But nothing traumatic has ever happened to you in this life, right? So it could be explained that when you were dying, maybe you were feeling lonely. Or maybe when you were dying, you were feeling angry. So in this lifetime, you are just automatically drawn to feeling angry all the time at someone because you feel there is injustice in the world. I remember when I was a little girl, I was always so sad. I was the saddest. Every picture is like me, like, 
you know, being very sad. There was nothing sad in my life, you know. I had a great family. I had people who loved me, but there was just this deep sadness in me. Um, and, and and still I'm drawn to that feeling, but, you know, I'm grown up now. <laughs> we can continue. We can go back to how do we die? If you want to die and reach the supreme goal, this is what you should do. I'm quoting. Remembering me at the time of death, close down the doors of the senses and place the mind in the heart. Then, while absorbed in meditation, focus all energy upwards to the head. Repeating in this state the divine name, the syllable OM, that represents the changeless Brahman, you will go forth from the body and attain the supreme goal. Those who are united with Brahman do not have to be reborn. They reach liberation and become the unchanging and never return to being separate beings. Reading through many out-of-body experiences, I have learned that people, they always say that they reach the God and it is the most wonderful and peaceful place of all. And they know this is where the Supreme Being resides. And everyone is always so in love with that place. But not many can stay there. Many had to go back. And they are very saddened by it. So I guess the sadness comes from this separation from God. If God is unchanging and is in within everything, you feel always connected to everything. But as you become individual, you become locked in your own experience. You become separate from other beings. You become separate from nature and most of all, you become separate from God. And that is form of a curse for us or a prison as if we were locked out so there's one more interesting fact that stayed with me for a long time krishna mentions that one brahman day lasts thousands yugas and one night of brahman lasts another thousand yugas okay yugas themselves are 26,000 years, one yuga. So 10,000 yugas, it's uh, 1,000 times that. And, and that's just one day for Brahman. And during this one day, the universe is created and lives in the creation. And then during the night, the universe dissolves and becomes nothing. And this is how it continues over and over. So the cycles we see in life right now, you know, day and night, uh, summer and winter, and so on, exist on a huge universal scale in which the universe is created and then dissolved, and then created and then dissolved. So imagine the detachment that that takes and by the way, reading Bhagavad Gita or listening to this, 
you don't have to worry that you miss an important fact. Krishna comes back again and again to repeat the important ideas over and over. And the same way he comes back at the end of chapter 8 and he says, There is merit in studying the scriptures, in selfless service, austerity, and giving. But the practice of meditation carries you beyond all these to the supreme abode of the highest Lord. I'll end with that. So if you like to support Sadhana and Books podcast, please leave a review, join our Patreon or share this on social media. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.